Alright, my name is Caesar and I'm an addict, alcoholic. Caesar. So the format for today's meeting is a speaker meeting. Tell me well, I'm welcome to meet up here, please. Recovered alcoholic and addict. <laughs> the first time I heard somebody introduce themselves that way, I was really confused why anyone would be grateful and say that in the same sentence. Uh, because I always use the way I wanted to use, I thought, right? Like, that's the way I always understood it. So, um, I never quite got it, but uh, I will explain that. Today I get it, so today it makes sense. Um, so I'll give you a really snippet of my of my growing up, and I don't really want to spend too much time there, but I just want to give you an idea of how I ended up where I'm at, I believe, anyway. Um, I didn't have a bad childhood, I didn't think, um, even with some interesting experiences uh, with uh, childhood molestation from a babysitter and things like that I, I learned really early to just shut that stuff off right uh, somehow I was able to just push that down shut it off and and move on so um I focused my whole life on sports that's all I put everything into um I was a girl, but I wanted to be a boy. I wanted to play sports with the boys. I wanted to do everything the boys did. So I didn't ever identify with girl stuff. So I had a little confusion with my identity as I got older. Um, so basically, sports was my life. I got through school because I somehow got through school. It's not because I tried real hard or anything, somehow I just managed. Uh, it's kind of interesting because my brother's way smarter than me, but I always did better than him, so he kind of resents me because he always got in trouble. I didn't. I was the one that should have. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, uh, as I got older, I kind of struggled with my identity. I struggled with not fitting in anywhere, you know. Um, with the athletes, I fit in, but I didn't fit in with them off the field. And off the field, I was partying, but that was a whole different group. So I learned in my teenage years to become somewhat of a chameleon. You know, wherever I was at, that's what who I was. And whoever, whatever group I'm in, that's who I'm going to be that time. And so part of me wanted to be good, and the other part of me wanted to not be. Because I felt like the good girl never really got any attention, and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, at about 14, my parents divorced which was a real shocker to me I didn't expect that coming and uh, my dad was kind of like the guy in my life I he was everything to me so when uh, when they got divorced I ended up living with my mom and my mom remarried my mom moved to Arizona I at, at my ninth grade year spent three different went to three different schools and kind of just went with my mom to Arizona for a new start. I was excited because you could play sports all year round here, so I thought it was gonna be the greatest thing on the planet. Um, I did really well in sports, but uh, in life, my mentality, whatever, 
uh, I didn't know how to handle things. So like my stepdad and I didn't get along and he used to pick on me because I went to movies every weekend with a different guy so he figured I was sleeping with all of them. When the fact was I was scared to get too close because I didn't want that pressure. So I just kind of was real surfacey with everyone. So at one point we got in a fight and the way I handle things is I run. So we got in a fight on a Friday and by Sunday I moved back to Utah, just like that. My whole life was in Arizona, I was doing really good there. Uh, I went back to live with my dad in Utah and my whole life turned 180. Next thing you know, I school didn't matter. Sports always mattered, but I now began to party and do all the things that come along with that. So um, I was really uh, juggling trying to keep my grades up enough to stay in sports. Um, somehow I managed to graduate and I got a small scholarship and I went to come back to Arizona to college, to Central Arizona College, which is actually a really uh, big softball school. So I thought I was, I thought I was going to reach my dreams. My dreams were I was going to be in the Olympics or a professional athlete of some kind. And that's the only thing I had. I had no other plan, no backup plan, zero. Never saw anything different. I uh, didn't concentrate on school because that didn't matter. All I was going to do was athletics. Maybe one day coach some, you know, that's it. So when I got to Central, I found cocaine, and that was my first true love. Absolutely, 100%. Gave everything up for that. In my first year of school, scholarship, doing good. They told me I'm going to redshirt, and my ego said, what? <laughs> me? I'm going to redshirt? No. I'm gonna go. And so I quit the team. And I decided to do work full time so I could do drugs full time. And that was how I supported my habit. Uh, the second year I moved back to Mesa area, tried to go to school at Mesa Community College, was doing too much partying, could not stay away from class. Nodding out in class all day long and only made it a couple months. Lied to my parents that I was still in school because I couldn't bring to myself to let them down and tell them that I quit school. So I pretended like I was in school and uh, moved back home after I moved out the window of my apartment because my roommates didn't like the way I was using drugs in their, in their surroundings. So I figured if I move out the window, I don't have to deal with whatever they wanted to tell me. <laughs> so back at home and uh, totally on my own thing. Didn't think of anybody but myself and didn't even know it, right? Like, I tell my parents, um, for example, I don't come home majority of the nights and my mom says she worries about me and if I could just call, that would help her not worry. And I told her, uh, if the phone rings, it's probably the cops and then you can worry. I mean, I didn't have any thought to what that might be doing to her, you know? So eventually they kicked me out. They gave me a warning, if you ever stay out again, we're gonna kick you out. I had every intention of going home, got off work, went to a friend's house, took some pills, next thing you know it was the morning, and next thing you know I was living in my car. So I was sleeping at the park down the street and trying to figure out what to do and no, no slow down on the, on the drug scene. So I find myself around Christmas time, I don't know, sometime in December, I find myself starting to smoke 
cocaine and uh, something hit me as all this transpired. I don't know exactly when it happened. I just know it was in this time frame. Um, I knew I was going to die if I stayed on this path. I had uh, lied to my drug dealer so she wouldn't deal to me anymore. So now I've just pretty much the only people I haven't talked to are starting to disappear out of my life. So I decided uh, I needed to get away from the crowd I'm running with. And the only way I can do that is join the military. So I did. <laughs> and so into the army I went. Uh, I tried to go in the Air Force. They wanted me to wait too long. I didn't think I'd stay alive long enough to make that wait. So I went into the army. And uh, when I got into basic training, um, it's interesting. I never liked. Uh, I never liked routine. I was very spur of the moment, very sporadic. Get into the military, and it's very regimented. And for some reason, I excelled in that environment. And so I was not allowed to do anything. Couldn't go anywhere. I was being watched at all times, and I did really good. So for two months, I didn't do anything. Hardly even <laughs> ate sugar. So I thought I was healed, naturally. <laughs> I'm all good now. So I got to school in Georgia, and in school you, you're on a lockdown for a couple weeks and then you get a little freedom. So as soon as I got a little freedom, alcohol was legal. They drug test you in the military, but alcohol is legal. So I started drinking, and I started drinking heavy enough that uh, was only there a month. My drill sergeant saw me stumbling home one night I was not of drinking age, so he threatened to turn me in for underage drinking or send me to a treatment center to see if I could uh, determine if I had a problem. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing on the planet, but I said, whatever, I don't have a problem, so I'll go do that. So I went over there, filled out their little checklist, have you ever blacked out, have you ever, what? And I just said, yes, yes, yes. In my mind, I'm thinking, who hasn't, right? Who hasn't done all that? That's what I think. <laughs> so they tell me that they would have rather hospitalized me, but because I'm in school, they can't, so they're going to send me to this treatment program. I was very angry about that. <laughs> number one, I wasn't one of them. And number two, why are you picking on me? Everyone else drinks like I am, and I'm the only one being singled out. So I was pretty ticked off about that. I followed their rules. I drank till six o'clock on Sunday night, drank as much water as I could. So when I UA'd on Monday, I'd pass the UA, went to all the stupid classes, got my little certificate and flipped them off and said, good deal, done with that. So then I went to Germany. That's where I got stationed. Well, that is free for all, really. Alcohol is much stronger in Germany and much more accepted. And uh, only the difference is when I got there, I found out I was pregnant with twins. So I stopped doing everything, thinking that I'm going to be responsible. I now have something I have to be responsible for. So I didn't use up until the eighth month, and I smoked some hash, and I felt guilty for that for a long time. But I was really angry at my husband. I got married. I forgot that little part. <laughs> met the guy <laughs> met the guy in school, decided to marry him, know him for two months, but we had a plan that we were going to get married so we could be stationed next to each other in Germany. It, 
it was more of a business deal, really. We could still date if we got there, you know. Uh, when we got there, I found out we were pregnant, so I kind of said, oh, it must be meant to be, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't use, but he continued his lifestyle, and I resented him for that because I couldn't take part in that. So uh, after uh, my children were born, they had some, some medical issues. So uh, for two months they were in the hospital, then I had to go back to work as soon as they got home from the hospital. Um, I got a lot of stuff going on in the military and I decided that um, I'm gonna apply for a hardship because they want me to now send my kids back to the States so I can go do something different and I just wasn't having it. So somehow I got a hardship discharge and got out of the military, came back to the States and he stayed there. Um, so all this time I'm staying sober pretty much, right? Uh, well, eventually I ended up back in Germany and I have nothing to do now but drink. So I drink all day, every day, that's all I do. My husband takes me on a little adventure, tells me somebody lost their wallet out in the, in the field and can I go with them and help them find it and ends up they cut down all these pot plants, some of these pot fields and we're trying to figure out what to do now with all these pots in the back of my trunk. And, I mean like weird stuff going on. We take trips to Amsterdam every chance we can get to get whatever we can get and take our chances crossing the border with all kinds of stuff, you know. And uh, I don't know, I never got in trouble for anything. You know, I never got in trouble. So I never paid any consequences or anything. Um, when I when I was 16 or so, I got pulled over with alcohol, drunk as a skunk. Somehow I didn't get in trouble. You know, so in my in my walk, I'm thinking, I, I don't know, I had a really big ego, like I was invincible or something. So anyway, um, I come back to, uh, come back to life, that marriage dissolves, I do all kinds of other things. Um, I end up getting married to a guy who I think is going to keep me in a, in a, on the straight and narrow because he's educated and comes from a different kind of family than I came from. And we stayed married about 17 years, so I have two kids from the first marriage, two kids from the second marriage. And somewhere in the midst of that marriage in 13, 14 years, whatever, I find myself, I mean, I have everything, beautiful house, beautiful cars, four kids, I volunteer at the school, life seems okay, everything seems okay, but inside I feel like I'm dying, and I have no idea why, and so, um, and I drink occasionally, but I drink with people, I could drink like I drink, and only with those people. So um, I was very, what do they say, you can't enjoy it and limit it and what is the, uh, anyway, control and enjoy your drinking, yeah. So it was either no control or I just didn't do it. So, um, so at one point I feel like I'm dying and I decide that my solution is to go find myself. Whatever. Whatever that looks like. <laughs> what that looked like for me is I decide I'm going to move back to Utah because I think that's where I'm going to find myself. And I want my family to leave me alone so I can go do this. They followed me, uh, some of them. My, hu my husband and my boys came with, which I was pretty upset about, did not want them to come. And that is where uh, it, the ski jump factor came on because that. 
a lot of that time I wasn't drinking, so my I, I figured, you know, I used like recreationally. You know, I did coke here and there, but somehow I didn't do it all the time. And I drank here and there, but somehow not all the time. So I, I figured I had it all under control, you know? And so I get to Utah and I start drinking with my cousin. And the next thing I know, I swear in like the flash of a light, I end up living in my car willingly, because I had places I could go, but I didn't want to go there. Lived in my car, off the grid, fuck the world, I'm good. You know, don't want to see anybody, don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to stay in this little cave and drink. That's it. And so um, I shut my phone off. My kids couldn't get a hold of me. Nobody could get a hold of me. Um, when my husband moved there, uh, we took turns living in the house. So I'd go home when he left and I'd leave when he came. And uh, I remember planning a New Year's party. <laughs> this cracks me up a little bit. I planned a New Year's party and all my family came. My mom came from Arizona, my kids came from Illinois. Everybody came. And before the party even started, I said I'm gonna take out the garbage and I disappeared. And I didn't come back for three days. And my family did not talk to me for years. My kids for years after that. So there were some things I figured I had done that were not redeemable. So it just took me deeper off the edge. So fast forward to he moves back here. I go back and forth for a long time. Can't figure out what I want to do. Somehow, uh, one day, I had to come home from drinking with this lady here in Arizona that drinks like me. I bend over to pet my dog and I hit my head on the ground hard. I don't even know it's my head. I hear that skull hitting the ground noise and look around thinking, but it was my head. I had blood all over. And I'm thinking, I'm probably going to die. I'm laying on the ground. I'm probably going to die out here. My kids are going to find me out here. That's going to suck. And somehow I make it inside and the very next day I go to an AA meeting. I have no idea why I would do that. Later I would find out I'm pretty certain that was all God. Because I would never have done that. I talked crap about AA. I wanted nothing to do with any of it. Never, ever, ever. So um, in this AA meeting, the one thing that stuck out, the only thing that stuck out, is that for the first time in my life, I felt like people understood my time, my crazy for the first time ever. That's the only reason I went back had no intentions of not using, didn't even know how to use, live life without that outlet. So I didn't even think it was possible. Certainly not for me. Might work for you, but that's not going to work for me, you know? So um, basically, uh, they tell you all those things. Get a sponsor. Have you ever, you know, all this stuff. I don't know anything about it. I might have been there before, but totally blocked it all out. Don't know, even know what they mean by get a sponsor. Don't know any of that. So this lady kept popping in my head. This, and I kept thinking about this one lady, this older lady. I sat next to her the very first day. She got 35 years sober. And my only thought was, who in the world would want to be sober for 35 years? <laughs> like, what is wrong with this woman, right? 
Well, that's the lady I ended up asking to sponsor me. She's much older than me. I had a lot of respect for her because I looked at her like a mother figure. So I felt like I couldn't lie to her and I wanted her to be proud of me. So I don't know. So um, I really had a hard time doing the steps. I didn't want to do it. I did not want to do it. Uh, step one, I didn't have a problem admitting my life was a wreck and out of control and all that. What I had a problem was admitting that I was an alcoholic and an addict. I knew I had a problem with cocaine, not so much alcohol. So that took me a minute to come to terms with. I would announce myself in meetings, just my name is Denise, not the rest, because didn't believe it, didn't want to believe it. So um, somewhere along the way, I don't know, I would sit through these meetings and not talk and, and just sit there. And the sponsor says to me, well, you know what, I think, uh, I think this isn't going to work out. And I said, wait, you could fire me? <laughs> I didn't even know you could do that. And she said, well, uh, you're not doing anything. You don't want this. And I was so mad. Oh, go back to my car, cussing her out the whole way. How dare her? Rah, 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 rah. And I sat in my car for a minute and I thought, you know what? She's right. What am I doing? I sit here, I don't talk to anyone, I don't do nothing. So that kind of lit a fire under me and I finally decided to uh, do something. Um, I, went, I went through the steps, kind of slow, took me a minute, but the, the minute I finally concluded that I do believe I'm an addict and an alcoholic of the hopeless variety, something changed in me and I was on so I get through the steps and I'm on my eighth step and I'm at position of neutrality meeting and a girl comes up to me and says, um, I want to know if you'll take me through the steps. And I said, I, but before you say yes, I need you to go home and Google my name. And I'm thinking that's really strange, but okay. So something in me, uh, ironically, I'll just back up just a little, something in me as I was in recovery wanted so bad to do H&I. I, I don't know why. I don't have any prison experience. I don't have any jail experience. But something in me wanted so bad to do that. Every time I tried to get signed up to do that, they told me I didn't qualify. Every door closed. Every single time. It was so frustrating. I didn't understand it. All I wanted to do was help and I didn't understand why I couldn't. So anyway, I meet this girl, Michelle. She asked me to sponsor her. I Google her name, and she killed someone in a DUI. So every ounce of my being said I had to help this girl because I have driven drunk more, more times than not. I don't even know why I'm not her, you know? And so um, I start sponsoring her, and my whole entire sobriety changed. I cannot tell you how important it is to work with others because without that, I don't know the difference today. That changed everything. I went to all of her court dates and every court date I swear I could see myself sitting in her chair and God telling me like, look, you can go this way or you can go that way. Your choice, you know, I don't know, it was weird. but. Um, Speaking of God, I will tell you, uh, when I was on my, when I, at my first meeting, I had two things to say. What is all this God shit? 
and why do you give me a list of women's numbers? I don't like women. So I didn't want to hear about God, and I did not want to talk to women. And so um, God was a hard one for me. God was a hard one for me. I had figured that we kind of went our own separated ways, and, and I didn't really have any interest in that. Um, I thought that I had, like I said, went point the past of being redeemed or helped or that he wanted anything to do with me. So um, somehow I used to meet with Joe McDonald uh, from PON because when I went to his meetings, they, something in me lit up. I can't, I don't even know what it was. And I would ask him, can I meet you for coffee? And I'd ask him questions and questions and questions. And he would talk to me in scripture, which did, sounded like another language. And I would say, what did you just say? Can you tell me that in English? Like nothing made sense, but something inside me wanted to know more. And I would get invited to church and not show up. And I just, I just couldn't do it. But the it's sincerity to want to know somehow, like in step two, I don't know, somehow the willingness helps you through it all. I don't know. So um, anyway, working with Michelle, I thought I had, I thought I had understood God. I was way wrong. Michelle showed me faith I had never, never believed. She had more faith than I had, and she was about to go to prison, you know? And so, um, anyway, so basically, uh, working with others is huge. I definitely, definitely, I don't even know how important. So, um, Life is challenging, right? You go through the steps, it's scary. Um, step four, nobody wants to admit any of that, right? Nobody wants to admit any of that, but I got to look inside myself. Joe used to tell me the answers for you are in you, and I would get so angry because that's the last place I wanted to look. I didn't want to look in me. But the minute I started doing that deep dive, I started finding those treasures that I thought were a wasted life. So, um, yeah, I highly recommend the steps because it has uh, saved my life. The power that I was introduced to in the steps has saved my life. So let's see, I wanted to read you this little thing I came across the other day that uh, it's on page 124 of the big book, and it says, cling to the thought. In God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. The key to life and happiness for others. That is just amazing to me because I never thought any of that mean anything. So here I am today uh, working this job that is uh, a dream. I don't know how I am so uh, on fire to help people in the Department of Corrections. It is the love of my life. I love all of you guys like you wouldn't believe and uh, I'm grateful to be a part of every piece of your journey that I'm allowed to be a part of. Um, I used to 
people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do for a living? Even, you know, a few years ago, what do you want to do for a living? And I would be like, I have no idea. No idea. I never liked any job I had. It was a job. And I used to write letters and write letters and write letters and kind of joke with Joe that, you know, I don't know, maybe I could write letters for a living. Joe, you know, I can't believe that really happened. Like, that really happened. Okay. <laughs> and luckily, um, God brought Joe into my life to help me see some different things I would have never seen. So, uh, Joe and I have learned how to have a healthy relationship, which is amazing. Um, I don't know, it's all God. I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking. Definitely was not looking for that. Thought that was, you know, I was done with all that. So God has definitely taken my life in all kinds of directions I would have never imagined. And uh, I am incredibly grateful. Incredibly grateful. And I thank you all very much for being here. Thank you.